You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, that's enough of that. Cut that out. Oh, no, here we go. Here we go. Watch yourself. Oh, well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Did we enjoy worship this morning? I want to... uh, what, what a special day for me. I feel like I, it's my birthday. My birthday's in two weeks from today, by the way. I turned 30, so I'm celebrating a little bit early this morning with this. Come on, Jesus. Uh, I just want to recognize a couple people that I didn't know were going to be here this morning, but one of my best friends in this whole world who has just become a covenant brother to me, Josh Jackson and his wife, Shantae, in the back. Wave so everybody can see you. I remember when I remember when Benny Johnson passed a few months ago. Uh, a guy named Larry Randolph spoke at her funeral, and he said a statement. He said, "Friends on earth are Jesus in disguise." And there's something about the Father revealing Himself through friendship, through earthly friendship, through brotherly friendship that just you can't find it anywhere else. So I just want to say thank you for being here. I love you. I know y'all have a home church, but. So glad you're here this morning. Actually, a little bit about them and our relationship. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my history in the prayer movement this morning. Uh, but I used to be the director for a, an organization, a movement called the Burn 24-7, which uh, we were here in Atlanta and then also for the region. Uh, but last year, I felt the call to uh, really just get planted back in the local church and serve in the local church in a pastoral sense. And Josh and Shantae were the ones that uh, took the mantle for that. Uh, for pioneering worship and prayer and intercession in this city. Uh, actually, I've got the microphone. I can do what I want right now. Will you, will you two stand up? I just want to bless y'all this morning. Can we pray for them? There, there is something about establishing a, a culture of nonstop prayer and worship that is unique to the body of Christ. So I just want us to pray for them this morning so that when they leave here, they leave fresh and they, they leave full and charged. Uh, and ready, ready to uh, be obedient and follow what the Lord's doing in this, in this season for them. Can we do that? So just stretch your hands towards them. Right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would release a fresh fire over the Jacksons, God. I thank you for their yes and their radical obedience. Come on, would you just pray together with me out loud? Thank you, Jesus, for their obedience in this season, even when it's hard, even when there aren't people partnering, even when there's a, a, there are obstacles in the spirit and the natural, God, that they still say yes to what you're doing, God. God, I pray that you would break open doors for their path right now in Jesus' name, that there wouldn't be resistance, that there would be churches and pastors and businesses and nonprofits and even individuals and families that would say, we want what you have. We need what you carry because it's vital to the plans and purposes of God in this city to see the kingdom of God established in Atlanta, Georgia. Lord, touch them afresh right now. Fill them up, God, to send them out. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So I do want to talk about this this morning, about building a, not just a, a culture of prayer, but what does it mean to build a house of prayer? Matthew 21, we know that Jesus is, is speaking publicly, and he said, actually, this is one of the most famous scriptures that we love to get ha-ha about, where Jesus goes in the temple and flips the tables. We're like, yeah, that's my Jesus. He, oh, angry. Let's go. But he's flipping them 
and he's angry because his heart is broken. Why? Because he and his heart has established that his house would be what? House of prayer. And what's happened, there's money changing and, and lots of other stuff. We, I'm not going to dive into that too much. But this house, God's house, wherever we gather, that is a house of prayer. Do you know that? You believe that? So about 10 years ago, and I had a radical encounter with the Lord, shocker, uh, where I was almost 20, 21, and uh, Bethel had just come into my scope. I had just kind of discovered what prophetic worship was and what real prayer and intercession was. And given I had grown up in a Pentecostal church, a very charismatic background, and so every Sunday night was prayer meeting. Every Wednesday night was prayer meeting. This wasn't foreign to me. But the fact that they had made it the main thing, the focus of what they did, that it wasn't just about a man getting up on a Sunday morning and speaking and, you know, a guest speaker and a guest band, that it was actually about hosting the presence of God well and ministering to his heart. That was the main focus. And so I believe that the prayer movement that we've seen so long for like ministries like the Burn 24-7, look at IHOP, Kansas City, who has been doing prayer and intercession nonstop for 10, 15 years. Uh, IHOP Atlanta has been doing the same thing. I think they've been going nonstop in the prayer room for 11 or 12, where they've just said, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is the people that we're going to be. We're going to honor what God says his house is going to be, and we're going to do that. We're going to model on earth what we see happening in heaven, right? Revelation 4 and 5, there's worship happening around the throne. Lights and lit, rainbows of living color. It's, it's insane what's happening around the throne of God right now. And David uh, gets, King David, before he was king, gets a revelation of this long before uh, Jesus ever comes and the cross and all this and has a revelation of what's happening in heaven where there's radical worship happening, nonstop worship happening. And so uh, I grew up in this movement about seven or eight years ago. I became a director for the Burn 24-7 Atlanta, which is dedicated to building the house of prayer uh, and partnering with local churches to help establish a culture of that. Uh, about six years ago, before we started this, I rode up to excuse me, a place in Pennsylvania that uh, Sean Foyt had sent us to. It was a global summit where I had a radical encounter with the Lord. I remember getting there on a late, we drove the whole 16 some odd hours up there in one, one shot in a bus. Yeah. <laughs> and so for introvert, Enneagram 5, y'all know, pray for me. That was, that was not a joy. <laughs> I get off the bus, and Sean's, yeah, well, we're so glad you're here, all, all this kind of stuff, bro hug, all this, you know, just really excited, and I'm like, hey, dude, don't touch me, I don't want to talk to people right now. <laughs> I walk into the building, and we're there five minutes before service starts, I'm just so done, I'm like, oh, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, Lord, I'm just kind of questioning everything. I walk in, and there's a, you know, like a three-piece band, and they're, you know, just like, well, I don't know what's going to happen tonight, and who knows, uh, and he starts singing, it was some of the most anointed worship that I've ever heard. I just the, immediately start strumming two chords back and forth. And I, you know how you just feel 
the presence of God increased in a, in a, in, in a tangible way. And I immediately hit the floor on my knees. And for the first time in my life, I, I don't get a lot of, you know, very detailed dreams. I've, I'd never had a vision up until that point. But for the first time in my life, I had this very real vision where I lost my, my, all of my eyesight. It was like I'd gone blind. Yeah, scary. Whoa. Uh, but in that moment, I, I sensed that Jesus was in front of me. Very, very strange sense. And I don't know if you've ever known anybody who was blind or partially blind, but when they, when they introduce themselves or they want, want to know what you look like, they ask, hey, can I, can I have your hands? They want to touch the outline of your face to, to discern what you look like. And so Jesus grabs my hands, very, very crazy. I could feel the touch of his skin, and he begins to take and feel with my hands the outline of his face. And when he did that, he said, I want you to see me in a new way. And from that day forward, for the past six and a half years, I have not been the same. Whew. Jesus. And so there is an invitation in this movement that's, that's geared around worship and it is fueled by prayer that when cool bands are on the stage and people like me with a microphone are the, are the center of attention right now, there's an invitation to just see him. And that night in worship, everything that I knew about worship and prayer and ministry in general changed in an instant. Where it just became about seeing his face. Now given all of this stuff, the is necessary to a degree. We need people that will preach the word of God. We need bands and, and musicians and psalmists that will usher in, release, and host the presence of God through worship and through music. But this is the main thing, that we'll see him in a new way. Amen? We doing okay? I know that was a very intense intro. Is this okay? Woo! Jesus. Let's pray real quick. Father, right now, I just ask that you would anoint this message. Once you do this, touch your mind right now, Lord. I ask that you would anoint every mind, every hearer in the room, that their minds and their hearts would be fertile soil. Lord, plant the seed of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said? And so this whole thing about prayer movements and worship movements, these decentralized things that happen all over the country and all over the world, last year I had this sense that God was doing something different. And it's, it's weird to have an idea that God is changing the way that you do ministry when no one else is changing. And so in January of last year, I went, ah, you know, I was still a part of the burn leadership. I went, man, something doesn't feel right. I, I feel disconnected, but I also feel like God is doing something new. But I just couldn't quite see what was happening. I said, Lord, I just really, before I even talk to anybody about it, I need you to show me what you're doing. Uh, just give me a sign. I'm going to wait on you to do it. 
And then a couple months after that, Billy Humphreys, who is the pastor and leader at IHOP Atlanta, made a very big public announcement with a church they were in partnership with that the, the, the house of prayer that had functioned for over 10 years, nonstop, day and night, was merging with a local church, which has not happened in the way that it did. And so the house of prayer that was standalone was now a, a central piece of the local church that they merged with, which means that besides Sunday morning, every other hour of the day, seven days a week, 24-7, they were doing nonstop worship and prayer and intercession on behalf of the city of Atlanta unprecedented. And I went, that's it. This is what you're doing. And slowly but surely, little houses of prayer all across the, even people that I was, that I was friends with uh, in Alabama and Mississippi were doing the same thing, that they had started houses of prayer, movements of prayer in their living rooms, said, hey, this isn't right. This was never meant to be separate from the local church. That God's house was a house of prayer. Matthew 21, my house will be a house of prayer right? That means me and you. That means this room right here, wherever we gather, doesn't matter if it's this room or a living room or whatever, we are house of prayer. Amen? So the church is meant to be the house of prayer. What's the focus? Any guesses? Jesus. <laughs> so the focus is him. What, what do we do? We have three different types of ministry. I was taught this a long time ago that kind of changed the game for me. We have ministry to the lost, which is preaching the gospel, ministering to the lost. There's a need there. We have ministry to people, which is we have a, a large uh, ministry, the prayer team, ministry teams. We have Sozo ministry, which is ministering to a deficiency, something that is missing or broken, right? We, we realize that Jesus is here to meet that need too, that he, that he doesn't prioritize himself over meeting the need. He's not egotistical, that he actually cares about us. But what do you give someone that lacks nothing? There's no deficiency in him. I think about the, the story of the, the woman of the wells at John 4, that it's not about meeting a need, it's about quenching a thirst. There's no lack in him. <laughs> Are you catching this? This is the central focus of why we gather. Not just to receive, we do that. To get healed, yeah, that's going to happen. That's a byproduct. One of my favorite statements by a guy named Matty Montgomery from Tennessee, he said this a long time ago, the family of God is not signs and wonders, of the kingdom of God, excuse me, is not signs and wonders and miracles. The kingdom of God is family, and signs and miracles and wonders are the family business. Selah. And so as long as we are doing this and ministering to him, the signs and the wonders and the healing and the breakthrough, all of that is a byproduct of loving him. And we're still going to do sozos, and we're still going to do deliverance, and we're still going to have prayer teams and prophetic booths and all that other stuff. That is 
Disneyland for us. We love that. But if we're not ministering to him, first and foremost, none of that stuff matters. None of it matters. All right. I could stay here talking about this all day. Let's move on. Let's open our Bibles and, and uh, read together this morning to make this thing legal. <laughs> Turn with me to Genesis 2. Yeah, we're going there. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 8. Look at everybody with your phones. We'll pray for you later. All right, Genesis 2, verse 4. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. All right, follow along with me. I'm going to read this out loud. Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the, in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. I, I started doing a, a deep dive on the whole book of Genesis about three or four months ago. Just because I wanted to study something that wasn't the Gospels or, you know, the book of Revelation or Proverbs or Acts or something that, you know, charismatic people just love to read about all the time. Just gets, oh, I'm so fired up right now. Yeah, the Gospel. Woo! But... I wanted to get back into the story of creation. And when I read this, probably four months ago now, I realized how different it was from what I'd been taught in Sunday school. Because if you read it the way that it's written, it's backwards from what Sunday school teachers teach, which is God made a garden and then from the garden made the man. But in verses 7 and 8, it says that he, he made the garden and then made the man and then put the man in the garden. And I went, wait a minute. If he had to take Adam and put him in the garden, then where was he? I would like to propose that he was in the face of God. I'm going to say it again because I want you to catch this, and this isn't heresy, that before... God put Adam into the garden that he was in the face of God. How do I know this? Before the foundation of the world, he formed who? Us. Me and you. Which means where were we before we were born? In the face of God. That's a fun side note. Y'all aren't getting as excited about this as I am. I'm a Bible junkie. I love the little stuff. This is the stuff that when I wake up in the morning and I go, dude, I can't wait to find out something new that completely wrecks the way that I think about God. <laughs> ah. So God plants a garden, and then he puts out a minute. And so we just talked about him being in the face of God. And so Adam only knows seeing him. Which is why I wanted to share that story 
First, I wanted to talk about that last, which ruins all my plans. Uh, but Adam's primary objective in the garden isn't to plow land. It's just to see God. It's just to know him. It's just to, to, to find out more about him. And it's so funny, too, because even in the Sunday school idea of the Garden of Eden that we were taught, I remember seeing pictures and slideshows, oh, slideshows on a projector, Jesus, just <laughs> aged myself, uh, of, of Adam with a pitchfork, till and land, which is not completely accurate yet because this was before the fall of man. And so before, before sin comes in and before the fall, they didn't toil against the land. The land actually worked in favor of man. And so Adam's goal and objective in this moment is to name the animals, name the flowers. Everything's growing. There's mist coming up from the ground. And so nothing has to be watered, no need for rain. It's, it's, it, the land is a self-perpetuating biome where it's growing itself. It's not dying. There's no deaths. In it. Everything is perfect. And so Adam's goal is ministry to the Lord, which is a wild concept that, that it didn't begin in the tabernacle of David or the tabernacle of Moses or all of these cornerstone stories about worship and prayer that we know about. It's actually in the garden that we find out that the primary objective of mankind is to minister to him. Are you catching this this morning? When Jesus died on the cross, what did he renew us back to? The garden, which was unhindered relationship with the Father. And what was the, the objective of Adam and Eve? It was to minister to him. If we've been renewed back to that, then what is our objective? Come on, Come on say it. Ministry to? Ministry to God. To seek his face, to know his heart, to partner and co-labor with him. One of the primary objectives of Adam in the garden was creativity, which means that if you think that you're not creative and you go, I'm not very creative, then you've not yet, not yet caught up to the cross. That wasn't in my notes either. Say it again. If you claim that you're not creative, you go, I can't draw, I'm not creative, I can't sing, which creativity is not those things. Those things exist in, inside of creativity. It is an expression of. If you claim that you're not creative, you have yet, not yet caught up to the cross and the finished work. Because if we've been renewed unto something, we have to renew our mind to that reality. Do you hear that? Which means that you are creative. Why are you creative? Because you have the creator inside you. This is what he died for. Eradicating sin was easy. That was the easy part. The hard part is getting us on board with the idea that he wants to do life with us. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. And so we fast forward to King David, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Probably one of the most famously quoted stories ever between shepherd boy to slaying massive animals in the wilderness to killing giants and everything in between, <laughs> the good and the bad. That we find out that 
Jesus is named son of David eternally, which is, wrap your mind around that. I still can't. But before David was ever king, he had a revelation of the presence of God and ministry to, to the Lord, which means since we've established that that's what the primary objective of the garden was, that he had a, a revelation of that. He had a picture of Genesis 2, which means that he didn't operate according to what Moses did before. He didn't operate according to what Melchizedek did before, but he was actually thinking, this is what God designed me to do. It's to co-labor with you and not work against the land and not work against the principalities and strongholds of the day, but to find out what you're doing and do that. Isn't that good? His hunger gave him access. We talk about hunger a lot in this culture, in this stream, but hunger gave him access to a, 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 to a level of the presence of God and access to his spirit and his heart that actually was illegal according to the covenant of the day. We live under a, a, a what covenant? A grant covenant, which means that we have full access to him. They didn't have that. What did they have to do when they worship? They would burn offerings, sacrifices, killing animals. And David said, that's not what God wants. He wants songs. He wants surrender. He wants my yielded heart on the altar. And so you picture that as a 10-year-old shepherd boy killing off animals unto the Lord. This is my land. This is my family. Killing Goliath. These are my people. You're talking about gold and glory. His brothers say, if you kill Goliath, we'll give you, give you money. You can have all the women in the world. David said, I don't want any of that. He's talking trash about my God. And took his head off. And completely reshaped the way the nation of Israel would function for years. And so we know after that, there's a long story about David becoming king and, and dethroning Saul and all this stuff happens. But once he takes over, he says, we're going to take all the wealth of the land and we're going to build a resting place for the presence of God, which we know as the tabernacle of David. And begins 33 years of uninterrupted worship and prayer and intercession. 33 years is, is exactly the length of whose life? Which, which testifies to what? The lineage of David who would become the son of man and come back to reset us back to what? The garden? The same garden that David had a revelation of way back when. It was not by mistake and it wasn't by chance. That God had set this up this way so that we would get to live in this redemptive story of getting back to knowing God and ministering to his heart. Isn't that good? Yeah. Let's read some more Bible real quick. Let's open to Amos 9. I really miss hearing Bible pages turn. Thank you. Yeah, just shuffle around. Yeah, make some noises. Oh, I feel so much better. Thank you. Thank you. Amos 9, verse 11. And this is one of the most famous scriptures 
for people in the prayer movement and the worship movement. And if you know it, you're probably like, yep, heard it a million times, tired of hearing it now. But we're going to read it anyway. <laughs> Amos 9, verse 11. If you're there, say I'm there. Ooh, y'all are on point. Let's go. All right, Amos 9, let's read this. In, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter or tabernacle in some translations. I'm going to go with tabernacle. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. Uh, the, my Bible has a, has a little footnote. I want to read this from the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. When, when this generation here in the Bible would read the Bible, they didn't read our Bible. They had a different Bible, which was the Greek Old Testament. This is what it says, so that may, they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name may seek my face. And I love that translation for that one line alone because it, it's not just establishing that worship and prayer would be restored in our day. Mind you, this, this verse is for us. This isn't for just them. This is a, a multi-generational prophetic word that we have access to, Right? And he's, he's not just saying that worship and prayer will become a cornerstone and will, will be rebuilt and nothing can tear it down. But he's actually saying that ministry to God will be restored in your time. Yeah? Are you catching this? That it, when he says that they may seek my face, he's not saying so that cool bands can get up and play for 24-7 or that people can have a microphone and a voice and a platform in it. But it would actually be a place where people can come and, can and encounter the living God and seek his face and know him. That he's actually prophesying, Genesis 2, that we might get back to the garden. That we might not have to toil and labor for connection, but we might already have it. That is the primary function of the house of prayer. That's actually the, the, the one thing, the chief vocation of mankind is to seek his face, is to find out a little bit more about him. I love the picture in Revelation of the, the angel around the throne that, that literally, I don't know what his body looks like. It must be wild, but he's covered in eyes. Y'all ever read about that? This dude, just nothing but eyes on him. That is strange to me. But the more I read about the book of Revelation and what's described in the throne room is that when God makes angels like him, like it says he's given eyes so that he may see the glory of the Lord, there's no command from God that he would worship. His primary objective is just to see him. And he, I know. No one had to tell that angel to worship him. He just had to have eyes. His outward response is holy. Holy. Come on. Do you get this? Do you get this this morning? And so I say all of this. This is our primary call and objective. This is our chief vocation. This house right here, Resurgent ATL. This is our primary objective. For this city, for our sake. Let it start here. Let's not try to rescue a city. Let's not try to build a ministry first. Let's just try to minister to God's heart. Let's do that well first. 
All that other stuff will come naturally out of that. That the kingdom of God is family and signs and miracles and wonders and worship and prayer and intercession and evangelism or the family business. One last thing I want to read this morning. Oh, I'm doing good on time. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. Let's read one more passage in the Bible. Let's turn to Matthew 26. Matthew, yeah, make your, make your page turn noises. Thank you, God. I feel so affirmed right now. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew 26, verse 6. Another very popular passage of scripture, Mary Bethany. This is one of my personal favorite stories. It's actually a, a, a version of this story is in all four of the gospels. I'm going to talk about that. So let's read this. Matthew 26, verse 6. Are you there with me? Yeah. All right, let's read this. Jesus was in the town of Bethany in the house of Simon, and Simon had a very bad skin disease. A woman came with a jar of perfume. She had given much money for this. As Jesus ate, she poured the perfume on his head. When the followers saw it, they were angry, and they said, why was this wasted? This perfume could have been sold for much money and given to the poor. Jesus knew what they were saying. He said to them, why are you giving this woman trouble? She's done a good thing to me. You will have poor people with you all the time, but you will not have me with you all the time. She put this perfume on my body to make it ready for the grave. For sure, I tell you, wherever this good news is preached in all the world, this woman will be remembered for what she's done. And so Mary has this crazy revelation. When she walks in, she sees him sitting. And she goes, that's him. That's him. The man who will sit upon the throne forever and ever. And she takes this jar of ointment of oil, perfume, that's worth a year, a year of wages. And Judas looks at her and goes, we could have spent that on the poor. We could have paid off debt. We could have given to a nonprofit. When he didn't care about the poor. But she had a revelation of the man Jesus. And she broke it over his feet and washed his feet with her hair. Why? Because she had a revelation of the priesthood. What's the priesthood of mankind? It's to minister to his heart. And then after all that, he rebukes the disciples and goes, wherever the gospel is preached, <laughs> wherever you preach this gospel, you'll tell her story. Why? Why did he mix evangelism with ministry to God? Because that's the first thing that as a believer we should do. It's the first place. That's what we operate from. It's not from activities and platforms. It's not even from signs and wonders. All that stuff follows those who believe, right? Not us chasing that. But he says, wherever you preach this gospel, wherever you minister to the poor, <laughs> you'll tell of her. A woman that took a year's 
worth of savings in a jar and washed my feet with it. That is what Jesus has restored us back to. And that is what he's commanded us to do, to live, to preach, and to become. Y'all with me this morning? Let's do this. Let's stand together. Was this okay? Yeah. A little, a little intense, I know, but come on. We, we, have been, we have been teasing and talking about and throwing the idea around of this house becoming a house of prayer and of intercession, not just worship. We, we will always do worship well because of the excellence that we carry, because of the anointing that we carry, the leaders that we have will always do that. But from here on out, we no longer have permission to not do this. That everything that we do moving forward, if it's not this, we've, make, we've made an excuse. So this is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to pray together. No, excuse me. I want the body to pray for the body. We're going to do a little activation here, but I'm, I'm going to pray for us this morning that we would be filled with a fresh fire. And I know we hear that a lot in this stream, Lord, fill us with fire. But I want it to be very specific. I want it to be a first love fire that fuels us for intimacy with God. That from that overflow would become ministry to God. That this house, first and foremost, would be a dwelling place for him. I love the word tabernacle when we talk about the tabernacle of David or Moses. Tabernacle actually means to host God, to host the presence, to dwell with him. And so it's my prayer this morning that we would tabernacle with him. That this building is not a tabernacle, that you and I, we are the, the resting place for the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want us to do. And you better get ready to receive this because if you really walk in this, it's going to change your life. I want you to Lay hand on someone next to you. Is this okay? Yes. Are y'all excited for this? Yes. This, is, this, is, this is about to change everything and shift your whole life because everything that we've ever been geared for, if it's ministry, if it's platforms, if it's selfish gain, whether we recognize it or not, all that's about to get burned away. So we're going to pray together, which means you're going to pray out loud, but I want you to pray for the person next to you, and then I want, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. Is that okay? All right, so here we go. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us a fresh fire. God, the same passion that burned in Adam in Genesis, in the garden, God, would you give us that same fire for your face to seek you jealously, the same way that you look at us jealously. God, would you give us a revelation of Amos 9-11? Come on, just begin to pray out loud. Give us a revelation that it's not just about Sunday morning church and a speaker, that it's actually about Pursuing your heart. Wow. Would you just begin to pray that over the person next to you, the person you've laid hands on? 
God, I pray for a greater intimacy right now in Jesus' name. The same way that you <laughs> stripped my personal vision to take my hands and run along the outline of your face, God. Would you give every believer in this room <laughs> new eyes to see you? God, would you make us like Mary of Bethany, that nothing else compares, that we would call, we waste everything that we have, no matter the cost, Jesus, and no matter what other people say, how foolish it looks, if it's quitting a job or moving across the country, if it's giving up a relationship, Jesus, we just say right now that you're worth it. God, I pray for the anointing on this house to fall, for a deep hunger for prayer and intercession, which is nothing more than agreement with who God is and what he wants to do. But it's nothing complicated. It's simply getting God's heart and declaring that out loud. Would this house become a place that would become a great influence for this city? That what we pray in here together, corporately, not just alone, not just in a three-person prayer meeting, but in this house, what is prayed and what is heard and what is declared would actually shift the culture of this city in an impactful way, in a measurable way, that numbers and statistics will show it and professionals and scientists and alike won't know what happened. But it'll be because we decided to seek your face. 